Proper planning up front can pay huge dividends for your learners and your organization. You already have your learning objective written, so it can save a lot of time when it gets to the point where you're trying to assess learning. I know a lot of people do skip this part of it. They just sort of do it informally during the design cycle. That's another area where the more time you spend up on identifying faster it's going to be for you to turn around the things that you need to in the end. That's David Gordzicki, Training Manager, Customer Engagement at StoneX Group. David and Jared Morgan, VP Global Education for StoneX Financial, share a case study on the StoneX eLearning Risk Management Academy. Their lessons learned will help set you up for success on your training projects. Next on Powered by Learning. Powered by Learning is brought to you by DaVinci Interactive. DaVinci's approach to learning is grounded in 30 years of innovation and expertise. We use proven strategies and leading technology to develop solutions that empower learners to improve quality and boost performance. Learn more at DaVinci.com. Joining me today is Jenny Fadulo, DaVinci's Director, Learning Experience, and our guests, David Grzycki and Jared Morgan from StoneX. StoneX is an institutional-grade financial services network that connects companies, organizations, traders, and investors to the global markets ecosystem across a wide range of commodities. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hi, David. Hi, Jared. Good to see you. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having us today. Well, we're excited to talk with you. Let's start out by sharing with our listeners a little bit about your roles at StoneX. David, why don't you start us off? All right, thanks. And thanks for having us today. My job is to help our clients and our employees use the systems that we use to help our, our clients trade and get accounts open here. So I'll, my background's in learning and development, and so that's what I do. It's pretty fun most days. <laughs> Jared? Hi, my name is Jared Morgan. I am the Vice President of Global Education for StoneX Financial. And unlike David, my role primarily focuses around prospective clients and current clients. So we provide uh, instructor-led training for those various individuals that need to learn more about the financial tools and services that we provide. So great, great, you know, to have you guys. Um, congratulations on the completion of the project. I think it's safe to say we both learned a lot through the process. So for those listening, you know, in a nutshell, what we did together, uh, we converted three of your instructor-led courses to an online format and created StoneX eLearning Risk Management Academy. We used a micro-learning approach, multiple delivery methods, gamification, video scenarios, e-learning, SME videos, all housed on our custom LMS. And shoo, that um, <laughs> sounds so easy. But, but really, to, to manage such a large-scale project, we followed a very structured approach, uh, Da Vinci's project management life cycle that really started with getting to know your audience. We really needed to understand who we were talking to when we were doing this project. And I'm not talking about just identifying your audience by title or role. We created personas to really help understand behaviors and characteristics. Can you talk about from your perspective what that process meant to the project and, and how it maybe helped lay the, the foundation for the work we did? Sure. This is David. Let me take this one first anyway. Um, what I would say is that it was very valuable to be detailed and to humanize the people who are going through this course here. I would actually suggest for a lot of people that haven't gone through a formal design process around this to make sure that as you have to weigh all the variables that you got to look at, your stakeholders want your work done yesterday. You know you have a lot of things you have to do, and, and you know especially in these initial phases where it can take a little bit longer. Building personas really is something I would encourage people not to skip because for us, 
we're a fairly, you know, kind of a mid-sized company here, but we've had a lot of growth over the last several years. And when we went through this persona exercise, it was really helpful, especially for me, since I did not have the content expertise that Jared did for me to understand, well, who are we actually creating this content for? And as we went through the process of building out these personas, we probably could have had for this project maybe 15 to 20 personas, which is obviously way too much for the design process. But uh, for me, that, I guess that's probably what I, what I remember the most about the persona content. It was very helpful for us to think about all the various needs that we had. And as we moved through the design cycle for this course, it was helpful to refer back to those people those personas that we built and simply raise the question, well, what would Donna say here? And what would Joe say? You know, because obviously when you start thinking through the needs of each of those groups, they're going to be different. And that's probably what, that that was my perspective from it and was really good. Yeah, exactly, David. And, And that's what we did throughout the process is we would look at a particular persona and say, you know, how would this person react to this content? Is this going to make sense? Are we doing this the right way? Are we touching, you know, every single persona? So it was great for us to kind of check and balance kind of approach to ensure that we were reaching the audiences we intended to reach. Yeah, one thing I would add to that too is it, it was a valuable exercise, even from the from the perspective of our instructor-led training, um, to take a step back and realize that uh, our audience really is evolving as an industry. You know, we have more diversity um, in these fields than we ever have before, and just kind of anticipating how that uh, continues to play out um, really, you know, shed a, shed a light on. Uh, who we're doing this for and how we need to respect those uh, different uh, roles and different personalities as we move forward. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. Indeed. So we also spent a good amount of time on the learning objectives, which is also foundational uh, to the project success. David, your background is certainly in learning, but Jared, I know this was all new for you. Can either one of you talk about uh, that impact of the process and how it contributed to building the program? Right. And I should preface my response by saying this is my least favorite part of the design cycle. <laughs> but it's <laughs> you know, the most but, important. It's probably one of the most important. <laughs> I know it is. And so we were a little bit different because the instructor-led training that we had was, all, with the way it was created was good, but we had to sort of reverse engineer some of these learning objectives to make sure they were suitable for e-learning. And in the very beginning for us, it was actually kind of a good but, but challenging exercise because what we could really identify identify and articulate was participants need to know dot, dot, dot. And as we all know, that's not a performance-based learning objective, you know, and so we had to work a little bit with our subject matter experts to help refine some of that. And so, you know, I don't know not to sit around and be kind of nerdy around some of this stuff, but for those people who haven't spent a lot of time dealing with performance-based learning objectives, probably the pioneer of him was, uh, or maybe maybe he's not really the pioneer, but it's what I've always thought of. His name is Robert Mager. And he always said that there's three parts of a performance-based objective. The first is that it, that objective should describe exactly what a learner should be able to do after the training, and that should begin with a verb. So that's how I've always written these out. Mm-hmm. And then also the conditions, if there are any, that those tasks have to be performed within. And then finally, the criteria by which you would evaluate how well that objective was met. And, you know, we had a lot of those that we just had to work through and refine. And I'm sure that we drive the design team crazy trying to work through some of this stuff um, when we did. But it is really important, especially for someone like me that I didn't have the content expertise. And, you know, when you're thinking about evaluation. So that was, I'd say from that, that 
for me, that was an important part of this because, you know, everyone had to be clear and shift it from what do I need to know to what do I need to do as a result of taking this training? And that's once again, where the personas came in very helpful to us because, you know, a person that's a CPA will have a very different need from someone who is like working at a grain elevator or someone who is merchandising something from a dairy farm, for example, to find two opposite examples. So that, that's what I guess I would say. I'm curious to know, Jared, do you have other input or did things that you learned throughout the way? Oh, David, I learned a ton. Uh, you know, my, my background <laughs> is in uh, economics. Uh, I, you know, I formal learning objectives were, was a completely new concept for me. In fact, uh, before we ever even engaged DaVinci to help us out with this project, I was talking with David uh, on a meeting and he, he brought up Bloom's taxonomy and I thought, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm in over, over my head here. And uh, Time to Google that, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of wondered if he was just making words up to, to, to play yeah. with me a little Jared, bit. Like, did you mean taxidermy? Is that what you meant? <laughs> So, but, uh, you know, the learning objectives were very important as I came to find throughout this process. And uh, I, we did do a lot of work uh, creating those. Um, I, I had the, the content knowledge uh, very well, and it was kind of refreshing for me throughout this process to see that even though we had not ever formally identified those, we were um, checking those boxes with the training we'd already been providing uh, throughout the way. So um, thanks to David and our friends at DaVinci, uh, I learned a significant amount about the process and value of these learning objectives as we completed this project. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. It, I mean, it's intense. It's work. I mean, like, like David said, going through those three, you know, criteria, Sometimes it's a challenge, you know, you might, you get through the first two and they say, wait, how are we going to measure this? Or, you know, did we do this the right way? So it's work to, to, to do it the right way, but it's so critical. It is. And maybe even to add on to that, Jenny, the other thing that it really saved time for us for was once we had those objectives sort of crafted, when it came time for us, we, we had to create an assessment or an overall certification plan for this content because part of our marketing plan for this was to allow a, a person to get continuing education credits for their professional designations and then to have mm -hmm. a certification. And to do that, we needed to have an assessment at the end. And those learning objectives are so critical for applying this Bloom's taxonomy because it's easy to rotate between the areas that you need and hitting the different types of uh, content that you're measuring through. You already have your learning objective written, so it can save a lot of time when it gets to the point where you're trying to assess learning. And so I know a lot of people do skip this part of it. They just sort of do it informally during the design cycle. But that's another area where the more time you spend up front identifying, the faster it's going to be for you to turn around the things that you need to in the end. And yeah. I think yeah. that's probably pretty common knowledge. It just it seems like it's one of those things as we keep as designers getting more and more pressure to turn around our products more quickly to stakeholders. It's just, you, we know that you have to make some tough decisions sometimes, but this is another one of those areas where you might pay the price if you decide to cut this too deeply from my perspective. I don't know if you find this to be true as well, but I certainly have in my work. Agreed. Agreed. It, it's worth putting in the time and effort to get it right. Because like you said, it ties directly to how we're going to measure and write those assessment questions. Heavy lift is done when you when it's time to write those assessment questions if you've done the learning objectives correctly. All right. So tell me, what was one of the biggest challenges you faced from your perspective in converting from the instructor-led format you were used to to an online format? 
Well, I will uh, take a stab at that first, Jenny. Um, you know, our instructor-led training is typically small groups. We try to keep it at 40 people or less. And the reason for that is, is we really like to have a conversation more so than just a lecture. We rely on the individuals to, you know, if we're not explaining something well enough, slow us down and let's uh, take some time to figure it out. And obviously that's not something that we're able to do uh, in this e-learning format. So we really had to do a lot of work, you know, not only anticipating the questions that uh, we knew were out there, um, but just the design of the content, uh, you know, when we were writing out the storyboards, every word was extremely important and we had to, we put, put a lot of work into making sure that we were checking all our boxes as we were going through that process. All right. So tell me from your perspective, what was the one of the biggest challenges you faced um, from your perspective in, in converting from an instructor-led format to an online format? Hmm, that's an interesting question, actually. So when when I was thinking about this, the biggest thing that I was concerned about is because we had so many different personas, how are we going to simulate the richness of the conversation that would occur back and forth in a, in a traditional classroom setting? You know, and how, well, how are we going to anticipate like the questions that people have or how are we going to know whether they are kind of understanding um, what we're trying to present to them, even though we were using as many instructional mediums as we could? That's what I would say, probably. And, you know, for us, what we had to do is we kind of had to just handle it through the storyboarding process for the most part. We made sure that we were constantly rotating instructional mediums. Um, yeah, that's probably what I would say. I don't know. Jared, did you have some other input on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's all valid, David. And I, and I tend to agree with you on most everything. You know, as we were storyboarding uh, this course out, it, you know, became apparent to me just how important every word was. And uh, it was a lot bigger job than I anticipated it to be. You know, when we're in our instructor-led trainings, usually we keep those groups relatively small, between 20 and 40 people. And the reason for that is, is that we can have that conversation. We expect them to slow us down and let us explain something a little better um, if we have went over something too fast. And that's obviously not an option uh, with this particular type of format. So um, there was a lot of care taken to not only anticipate those questions, but make sure that we were presenting stuff in a fashion that uh, any one of our personas could you know, perceive as valuable. All right. I know you all face scrutiny from your subject matter experts. I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast just leaned in as anyone in the industry has had to work with SMEs and, and, and we know it, it, it can be challenging at times. So what issues did you face within your company uh, working with the subject matter experts and how did you overcome? Yeah, we did have some challenges, David. There's no doubt about that. Um, we were asked by um, some of our SMEs to provide this course. So they uh, came to us and said that this is something that we need the industry is looking for it. And we had uh, four main brokers that uh, wanted this uh, project to continue. And and they all were intending to be, you know, a part of helping us develop it. And we actually had one uh, drop out on us because they thought we weren't providing enough content. And uh, we kind of held our ground on that and went back to those learning objectives and tried to explain to them that we were focusing on those learning objectives and we weren't going to provide um, information that we didn't feel was necessary to accomplish those learning objectives. And um, as a result, I think we created a very valuable product. Uh, you know, even the one that dropped out uh, seems to like it now. And we've gotten some really good feedback from uh, the other three, as well as other stakeholders in the company as well. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a funny story. But I guess I, I had two things here that hit my mind when Jenny asked this question. I mean, just as an example of what Jared was just talking about with the, the SME who didn't really want to participate anymore. 
thought that we needed to have at least two hours of training on the history of the Chicago Board of Trade. There was absolutely no performance criteria tied to it. Obviously, that's a massive red flag that we all know, but that just, he just, he kind of had the impression that we were going to completely screw this project up. And the other thing that we got some significant feedback on is we we decided ultimately to come up with a creative theme because our content in this whole program was actually pretty significant. It's going to take a pretty serious amount of time for a participant to actually complete the entire program. And I mean, way more content than I've ever worked on anything before, except for when we did massive, massive system replacements, you know, and the operational training required for that. So we actually had some ident- identified a few things that we were thinking about, like, do we want to have a theme of exploring the different areas of a lake or... Uh, We had several other ideas that we came up with, and ultimately we decided to just use a Google Maps theme where the idea was for for the participant to have to go explore different neighborhoods. And then after they completed that portion of it, they would go to a different city. And it was just a creative way to wrap and bind all the content together for us. And when our subject matter experts saw what we were doing with that, they thought we were making it a little too gamey as it were. Mm -hmm. And they thought it was disrespecting the seriousness of the nature of what it was. But once they actually saw everything fall together, I mean, it really did make a big impact on them. And I definitely agree with you, Jared. I mean, we've, it's actually been one of the more pleasant things I think in this project is for us to actually have our subject matter experts take a look at what we ultimately built and then to see the buzz that kind of ensued as a result of it. Would you agree with that? Yes, for sure. Without question, uh, that has been very a very satisfying experience as we uh, finish up this project. And now, yeah. that, now that they've seen how well that can, this process can work, that probably paves the way for more projects in the future and better, even better communication with your SMEs. Yeah, and I, and I think that both you and Jenny are raising a good question around this because you know the the latter part of the question was, well, how did you overcome it? And this is obviously something that. It just takes time to figure out, well, what are some best practices here in this? So I can tell you, at least from my experience of things that have worked very well, is it's really important to be sensitive and collaborate with the subject matter expert because they typically care about this, as we all know very deeply, right? And they always have a fear that we're going to do exactly what the two hours of the Chicago Board of Trade guy did, that we're just leaving out so much information that it's going to be not helpful to people. <laughs> and and it's hard, you know, do you, do you answer the question, do you try to make them a trainer or what do you do? I, at least in my experience, I've found it's best to not try to make them a trainer. Just be sensitive to what they're doing and appreciate that, you know, that they, they have actually a lot of knowledge and, and just acknowledge that you're hearing them is kind of what I've tried to do a lot of times. And then figure out how can you involve your subject matter experts in this whole program? A couple of things that Jared and I did here was we decided, well, which subject matter experts are really going to be the most influential among their peer group that we needed to get adoption? And those people who were going to be the most influential, we made sure that we did everything we could to involve them and, you know, make sure that they would advocate across their peers. And the things that we did specifically for them were we made them actors in a lot of our role plays and we scripted what they did. And some of the personas that we asked them to adopt, we would actually ask them in some of our simulations to do that. And we also hired a professional camera crew and we took video of a lot of them. And we'll kind of talk more about that process, I would imagine, here in a little bit anyway. But we identified as many things as we could have them do and involve them in it. And it really paid dividends for us. So that would kind of be my my suggestion around that, Jenny's. That's what we did. 
Yeah, I think I think we these are certainly approaches that we use as well. And I think we talked through these. How do we overcome this? Absolutely involve them, give them a voice, put them on camera, include them in the content. That's why we have those subject matter expert videos throughout. So yeah, you rather than shut them down, you need to figure out how to include them. Absolutely. Yeah. What was the biggest aha moment maybe when you were working through this large scale project and process, obviously with our, with our guidance and, and the structured process we were following? Any big aha moments that, wow, this, this makes sense or, yep, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Let me start with this one, I guess. So it's also important to note that when we were, when we started working on this project, it was kind of toward the middle to latter part of the pandemic too. And one thing that we ultimately needed to do because the amount of content was so massive that we were trying to compress in, maybe not compress isn't the right word, but to convert to a, an online format was that we, we needed to spend a little bit of time in a, you know, in a safe way, of course, but with the design teams. And so mine's a little bit different maybe than what Jared will say, I'm pretty sure here, but just having a face-to-face time was very important to me because it reminded me of the value of the in-person and the richness of human interactions. And so while I'm not real sure that that's necessary for a lot of projects that um, people work on today in our industry, I would say that was, for me, that was a good aha because it'd been a little while since we'd been around people, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) And, um, you know, we just happened to collaborate quite well together and it's good for building trust. So that's, that was my thought. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point, David. I hadn't really considered that as an aha moment, but it certainly is. I think uh, for me, the where I really saw stuff come together is once we did do the SME video recordings and incorporated that into the lessons, um, there was times where I was kind of putting my SME hat on during the design of these lessons thinking, man, there is a lot that we're not uh, not giving them here. But after we did those recordings and embedded those recordings into the lessons, it really all came together. And I think it's a good testament to how valuable um, those different mediums, that approach is and um, humanizing the content as well. Along those same lines, I know um, we obviously intentionally used a variety of those methods, and and we talked about that through you know the process of converting the content. You've got to use those different methods. How do you see your audience, I guess, responding to this approach? You know, the ad- animated scenarios we just talked about, the SME videos, gamification. Um, I know we've talked about your SMEs and how they're reacting. What are you hoping, maybe, or, or what do you? How do you anticipate your audience is going to respond? Great, great question, Ginny. I think our audience is going to love this content. You know, I think there's something to be said. Normally, when we go out and do these classes, obviously, we're reaching a regional audience and people aren't going to travel too far uh, to come to our instructor-led trainings. And we're asking them that for two days of their time, in most cases, plus travel and plus all that stuff. And as we all know, time is something that is a little hard to come by these days. So um, there are instances that uh, people can't attend our instructor-led training and there are instances that resources limit them from attending those. And not only that reason, I think uh, for that reason, obviously this will you know fit better and solve that problem for them. But I also think that this is a content that uh, they can take at their own pace. And if there is stuff that they you know need to study up on a little bit more, maybe need to spend some more time on to understand, they can go back and redo it. And we're going to provide a workbook for them as well so they can do some extra homework on that and i think 
through bringing all of those pieces together, this is going to be something that is, you know, widely accepted by the industry. And, you know, there really is no comparable product out there in the industry right now. So we are kind of innovating um, a new technique for this very isolated industry of grain merchandising. You know, that's a fairly small audience across the nation Mm -hmm. or across the world for that matter. And uh, I think this is a great way to get out to some of those people that, uh, you know, we wouldn't otherwise reach. So. I'm curious. So there's probably a lot of folks listening that have maybe taken the step to convert their their ILT to maybe a virtual format through Zoom, but haven't quite, you know, taken taken that jump to literally go online, whether it's a large or, or small scale project. What advice do you both have? You know, a simple piece of advice if, if for somebody that's listening and saying, you know, I need to I need to do this. Yeah, I mean, for me, I would say it kind of reminds me of the Stephen Covey principle, begin with the end in mind. And while it seems like it's simple to do, because we always have so many pressures from stakeholders and others that want us to do everything fast, it just is a real solid investment, again, in the overall success of your project. If you can start thinking through some of those things that aren't in you know, aren't aren't immediately pressing. Don't just start jumping into content. Make sure that you are actually beginning with the end in mind and you're thoughtful about some of these things in the beginning. It may take you a little slower to get started, but it will stop you from having to constantly go back and forth and do rework. So that's, that's, I guess, what I would say. Yeah, I think that's a good point, David. What I would like to add also is that, uh, you know, creating this course and this content in this fashion is, I think, is going to provide a tremendous value to both us as a company and also uh, the learners that go through this. Um, But I think it is important that um, you don't finish a project like this and then think that you're done, send it out there and forget about it. There has to be a method or a means for um, those attendees to follow up with you, ask questions and make sure that uh, they are getting all of the value that uh, you have provided them out of this, uh, this training that you've provided. Well, and hopefully all the work that you put into this project will will set the stage for the next projects that you do because it was such a thoughtful process and, and uh, great insights that you're sharing with people. So thank you both, David and Jared, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, thanks, David. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Jenny, what a success story Jared and David shared. Some good lessons learned from their journey, for sure. Agreed. Uh, You know, and I think when when you're facing such a large-scale project such as this, basics matter. So as a gentle reminder to those listening to this, instructional designers, project managers, those processes and techniques that we learned throughout our career, they work. You know, defining learning objectives, crafting personas, the project life cycle, dedicating time to planning, analysis, goal setting. It all it, it all ties to really the, the, our steadfast commitment to those foundational principles. And you've seen that work at DaVinci time and time again on projects. What what are you working on right now? <laughs> if any of you ask, actually, front of mind is we're reaching the culmination of a years long project. Probably we're getting close, maybe six more months, but we're really creating a cutting edge curriculum and learning platform from scratch. We're using multiple vendor partners. We have subject matter experts collaborating, collaborating with us. It's such a mass project and a mass scale. We're using agile approach. We have weekly sprints. We're using a ticketing system. So those core principles we discuss, we're using them. They're key to our success. So embracing them has really been, like I said, key to thriving uh, 
with this with this project and this adventure. Well, good reminders for you and your team and everyone listening to this podcast. So thank you very much, Jenny. And special thanks to our guests, David Grzycki and Jared Morgan from Stonex. If you have an idea for a topic or a guest, please email us at poweredbylearning at davinci.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Powered by Learning wherever you listen to your podcasts.